Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Now, as we are in uh, this Easter Sunday service, if you've not been with us over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Follow learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not okay just to say that we're Christians and not actually follow Jesus. If we say we're Christians, we are saying that we are wanting to be Christ-like, and we need to know what that looks like to be like Him. And so we've been going through a series called Follow, learning what it means to be disciples of Jesus and to fulfill the great commandment that He gave us after He died and rose from from the grave. And that commandment was to go and to make disciples. And so our call, our duty, our our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to make other disciples, to influence others for the kingdom of God. And so we're learning what that means through this series. We're learning if we're going to be like him, we first have to spend time with him. We got to spend time with him. Would you agree? You can't be like Jesus if you don't know Jesus. You can't be like him unless you are spending time with him. You're learning his voice. You're learning, uh, you, you hear him. You know how Jesus speaks to us? It's through the word of God. So we pick up the word and we read it because we want to know what he's saying and know what he's doing and, and how he's, he's drawing us closer. We learn his voice. We learn to obey his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That means that God is still speaking today. He's not turned mute. He's not turned, uh, he's not turned away from us. He is speaking to us and we learn to be like him. So we've been learning what it means to walk with him. We've been learning what it means to be an influencer. You don't need to have TikTok or Instagram or a mass following to be an influencer today. Jesus is the one who called us first to be influencers. So congratulations, Gen Z, you're all influencers for Jesus. Congratulations, you've made it. Hallelujah, that's right, young lady. That's right, praise God. The next influencer for the kingdom right there. So uh, we've been going through this uh, desire to to be people who look like Jesus. And some of you are, are a direct result of somebody inviting you because they've realized that they are called to be influential for the kingdom of God. So you might have answered an invite because someone said, I have to be more like Jesus. And Jesus was always drawing people to the Father. So I want to draw people to him as well. So you might be a direct result uh, of somebody being Jesus to you today. And in fact, all of us, all of us in this room are a product of someone telling us about Jesus. Every single one of us. See, no one comes to Christ on their own. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. You have to be told who he is. See, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago that people can come to the realization that there is a God or creator by just by looking at creation. People can walk outside and see the, the birds and the trees and the air and, and nature and say, surely there's an intelligent designer that made all of this. They can even uh, re- realize that this creator is good by, by observing creation and seeing the beauty in creation and eating wonderful food. I love it. I talked about this last time that, that uh, uh, I've heard somebody say when they tasted a mango for the first time, they said, surely there is a God and he is good. And I agree. I love mango. Fresh mango, dried mango, chili mango, all mango. I love it all. Just don't call me mango. That's not my nickname. <laughs> But people can realize that there is a creator by looking at creation. They can realize the creator is good by, by partaking in the good things that he's given. They can even understand that there is eternity because they can observe 
uh, how our space is ever expanding and it goes on forever and ever. And they can even say in their hearts, surely there's something that inside of me that will go on forever and ever too. But no one will come to the realization that this God, this creator, the one who is good, that has put eternity in our hearts, no one will realize that his name is Jesus unless you or I tell them. History holds our salvation because a moment in history that we're celebrating over 2,000 years ago that happened is that Jesus not only died for us to give us salvation and freedom from our sin, but he also three days later rose again. So our salvation is, is placed in knowing the history of who Jesus is. You cannot know Jesus is the God that you observe unless someone tells him. And our hope is found in the historical moment of the cross. Like my dad said, this past Friday was Good Friday, and we call it good because Jesus, through his actions on the cross, granted us access to be reconciled to God, to give us forgiveness of our sin, to give us new life, to give us a new identity and a new freedom. And he bore in his body the punishment of my sin and of your sin. And if we will confess him, the Bible says, as our Lord and our Savior, and put our hope and trust in him and live our lives for him, then we will have an abundant life that he promised us. Over this last week, we talked about God's uh, radical, unashamed love for us that is on display through his son, Jesus. That if we will surrender our lives to him and put our trust in him, that we are right now in this moment, if you will say, Jesus, I want you, Jesus, I, I need you, please forgive me, save me, in that moment, the Bible shows us that we are deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted by God, and whole in Christ Jesus in that moment. Does that mean that we won't struggle? Does that mean that there's still stuff in our lives that needs to be get rid of? It, it, yeah, you're still going to struggle. You still have sin. You still have flesh. You're still breathing. So you're still going to have stuff that you're going to wrestle with. But in that moment, as you live your life for Jesus, you surrender your life to Jesus, God no longer sees your sin. He sees his son. And he is fully pleased with Jesus. He is, he is uh, radically, deeply in love with his son. And when you come into Christ, now God sees you uh, as part of his son. And so some of us will still struggle with that because we were raised to think that we had to earn God's love, that we had to earn God's approval. It's just, for those of you, especially if you were raised in the church, it's just subtly, quietly instilled in you and not the fault of your pastors per se or your parents or your leaders, but for some reason, it's just internally, we think we have to earn something from God before he will love us. And God's love is not conditional upon your action or your response. It's upon uh, Jesus's action and his performance and his, his response. And so last week, we talked about this criminal on the cross that was beside Jesus who simply asked Jesus to remember him when Jesus entered into his kingdom and Jesus in that moment accepted him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. That story illustrates that that, that criminal did nothing to earn God's love. None of his good deeds could have been performed while he was there hanging on the cross. What it said was, as you ask Jesus to save you and to set you free, this simple response to him saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. Would you accept me into your kingdom? In that moment, Jesus says, you're accepted. And for some of us this morning, you need to understand that Jesus is calling your name and he desires to accept you into his kingdom. All you need to do is ask him and receive him.
This morning, I want to give another example of God's radical love for us, and it's found in Matthew chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there to Matthew chapter 9. If you have a YouVersion Bible app a smart, on your smartphone or device, you can follow along there as well. There, is no, there are notes there in Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn there now. Now, right before this passage that we're going to read in verse 5, uh, Jesus has healed this paralyzed man whose friends wanted to bring him to Jesus, but there was no room left. The house was packed out, so they went on the roof. How many of you know this story? And they begin to rip the thatching off the roof and lower the man down on his mat before Jesus. It's a powerful story. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do so. And they, they brought their friend to Jesus and lowered him down through a hole in the roof, and Jesus healed him, and he forgave him of his sin, and he told him to take up his mat and be healed. And all of this happened not because of the man's faith, but because of the faith of his friends that brought him to Jesus. And some of you are here today not because you have faith in Jesus and uh, who, saying who he is or what he's done, but because someone had enough faith in Jesus for you to invite you to this place. And in a sense, they were bringing you to Jesus when you didn't want to bring yourself. Some of you are here this morning, and you're going to encounter the love of Jesus maybe for the first time, not because you have such expectant faith for him to touch you, but because people have been praying for you that you would encounter the love of Jesus, and you will today. God loves you. Today we remember that not only did he die for you, but he rose from the grave for you. So understand that people have been praying for this day, that many of us would encounter the love of Jesus. And I want to encourage some of you who invited people today and they're not here, don't give up. Your faith is still vital. Your prayers are still essential. They will work and they will, uh, you will see the fruit of your labors in pursuing after Jesus for those who don't know him. So right after this passage uh, where Jesus heals this paralyzed man and forgives him of his sins and ruffles the feathers of the religious we pick up in verse 9, and it says this. As Jesus passed on from there, after he just had this divine miracle in this home, he saw a man named, uh, called Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, maybe some of us don't understand the significance of that small verse there. Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, I, no big deal. I mean, people that work for the IRS can follow Jesus too, I guess, somehow. God somehow can save them, and they can know Jesus too. But what we don't quite understand about the job of a tax collector is that they were considered traitors in their day. They, they went along with the oppressive rule of the day of the Roman Empire, and they agreed to legally steal from their neighbors, their friends, and their family, not only to pay the Roman government, but to, to line their own pockets as well. See, tax collectors were notorious for overcharging people for their taxes because there was no published code on the tax uh, in that day. No one told them, you have to pay a certain percentage. Whenever they showed up to the tax collector, he would tell them, you owe me X dollar amount. And then he would give a portion to Rome and he would keep the rest, and it was legal for them to do that. And so they were known as traitors. They were hated in a community because they, they were seen as those who who turned their backs on their own people. They were hated. They were despised. They were able to do this 
because the Roman government had force enough to oppress the people and the tax collectors took advantage and robbed from their own friends and family and neighbors. And yet as Matthew was actively stealing from his countrymen, while he was still in the tax booth, Jesus walked up and called him to follow. I think that's powerful. That Matthew was in the place where he was sinning against God and his own people. And God and Jesus walked up to him and I said, I call you to follow me. See, some of you are this morning are actively living in, in disobedience to God. Knowing what is right and wrong and you're still doing what you know to be wrong. And yet today, Jesus is calling you to follow him. Notice that Jesus called him to follow. He had a choice to respond to the invitation to follow or not. He didn't earn that invitation. It wasn't that he was living some perfect life and Jesus said, wow, look at the accomplishments of this wonderful man. I think I'm going to go up there and invite him to be a follower of mine. He didn't see Matthew and say, wow, look how generous and how kind he is to all his people. That's the guy I want to follow me. No, Jesus saw him actively robbing from his own friends, oppressing his own people. And in that moment of darkness, Jesus walked up and said, I'm the light you're looking for. Come and follow me. Jesus, as he passed along, said, follow me. Notice that Jesus didn't walk up to him in the tax booth and say, hey, stop collecting taxes. Stop robbing your family. Get your life in order. Get yourself cleaned up. And once you do all that, let me know, and then you can come follow me. He doesn't walk up to Matthew and say, hey, you hypocrite, you bum, you jerk. Figure life out first. In fact, give everything you have to the poor, and then you know what? You come. No, he says, he walks to him right in that moment, in the tax booth, says, you follow me. You follow me. Now, did Matthew stop collecting taxes and stealing from his countrymen? Yeah, he did. He did it. But he didn't do that because Jesus walked up to him first and said, get your life in order, then follow. Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll help you get your life in order. If, you, if you'll just decide to follow me, I'll lead you in the right direction. And the stuff that is binding you and, 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 and causing you to be tripped up, the sin that so easily entangles your life, I'll call you out of that if you follow. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is when he calls us to follow, he never leads us into sin. He doesn't lead us into death. He doesn't lead us into brokenness. He doesn't lead us into hopelessness. He doesn't lead us into loneliness. No, he leads us into life. He leads us into community. He leads us into joy. He leads us into hope. He leads us into freedom. So all he calls us to do is follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will redeem you. Follow me, and I will radically transform your life. So often in the church, people think that i got to get my life in order first before I can come follow Jesus. Friends, I've had conversations just recently with people who've told me, there's things i just got to get in order first before I can give my life to Jesus. No. Come to Jesus, and he'll get your life in order. Come to Jesus and follow Jesus, and he'll do all the work that you know inside that needs to be done, but you cannot do it on your own. If you could have done it on your own, you would have already done it. If you could have set yourself free, your voter already would have been free. You wouldn't have to be living with the guilt that you have and the shame that you have. You wouldn't have to have the resentment and the anger and the frustration that you have if you could have gotten rid of it on your own. Jesus says, I'll do the work in you. All you got to do 
is follow me. Notice that order. He says, follow. See, Jesus knows that if you follow him, he'll deal with the sin in our lives. He knows that if you really are going to draw close to him, as you draw close, you will feel the love and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That says, if I want to follow Jesus, this God who loves me unconditionally, this God who calls me, this God who gives me a purpose and an identity and a destiny, I don't want to fiddle around with all this stuff that is filling my life that does not please him. And you feel the correction and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it draws you closer to him. Jesus knows that. If you follow, he'll do the work in you. Verse 10 says this. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, we believe this is Matthew's house, because Matthew at that point was very wealthy because he had stolen everyone else's money. As he's at now this man's house, said many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Isn't it interesting? Jesus just started follow, or Matthew just started following Jesus and he was already bringing others to Jesus too. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants you to encounter his love so great that you said, I can't help but tell others about Jesus too. I can't help but tell people what God has done for me. See, your choice to follow will impact others' ability to follow as well. Your choice to follow Jesus will impact others' ability to follow him as well. You are a walking testimony of the goodness of God. Verse 11 says this, and when the Pharisees saw this, this is the Pharisees are the religious leaders in that day. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What I think is interesting about this passage of Scripture is that when we call people to follow Jesus and we don't necessarily point out all of the sin that they're doing wrong in those moments, it upsets the religious people. It upsets a religious spirit that says we have to earn this first. We've got to jump through all of these hoops. You better make people jump through all of the hoops first before you tell them that Jesus loves them. It upsets them. Why are all these tax collectors and sinners sitting around you? Why are you allowing them to eat with you? Because eating a meal was a big deal, right? It's not, it wasn't like Jesus rolled through in and out and was like, hey, let's just grab a quick double-double, some animal fries, we'll hang out, we'll recline the table, see what happens, you know, let's just see, see where things go. No, it was a long, a long time of preparation, and, and, and they had to actually prepare the animals they were going to eat, and they had to make the, the knead the dough, and, and whatever they were going to have for that meal, it took a long time, so as they reclined at table, they laid back, because it was taking a while, they would sit and talk with one another, and they'd get to know one another, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saying, how can you be around these people? Because he thought their filth is going to get on you and contaminate you. But Jesus says, you don't know who I am. Because when people touch me, their filth becomes eradicated. It's not the other way around. And so these religious leaders didn't understand who the king of kings was before them. So he had to tell them in verse 12, he says this, but when he heard their complaint... He says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Now, was Jesus saying the religious leaders were clean and healthy? No. He wasn't telling them, look, you're healthy, so you don't need me. What he was saying was, you're all sick. But those who recognize their sickness are the ones who go to the doctor. 
If you have an ailment in your body and you don't know about it, you won't go seek out a physician's help. And Jesus was telling you, the religious leaders, you think you've got it all together. You don't realize you're, you're sicker than a dog. And I've come for those who are sick, but they have to know that they're sick first to seek out the help of the great physician. And so he was telling these religious leaders that your religious spirit that thought you could earn all of these things to earn God's love and acceptance has blinded you to the very thing that is killing you, and it's the sin in your life. And he says, I would rather hang out with those who are sick, the sinners, because they know they need a Savior. And so they invited him. This same thing is true today, friends. See, the Holy Spirit comes to those who say, I need you. The Spirit of God comes into this place. When we worship him, the Bible says that we, are, that we are creating an atmosphere of praise. And the Bible tells us that he inhabits or dwells in the presence of his people, in the praises of his people. And so we're saying, Jesus, we love you. We magnify you, God. You are wonderful. You're great. And we need you, Jesus. We can't do life without you. We don't want to do life without you. And he goes to those who recognize they need a Savior. We are the ones who are saying we need the great physician to the things that are making our hearts sick, our bodies sick, our minds sick. And we need you, Jesus. See, the difference between these tax collectors and sinners and the religious leaders were that they knew that they were sick and he could make them well. Verse 13 says this, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, they thought if I could just do these things, if I could just sacrifice on my own, if I could just do all the right things, then I could get God's love, I could get God's attention, I could get God's approval. And Jesus saying, that's not how it works. I desire for people to call out for mercy. What is mercy? Not getting what we deserve. See, you and I deserve death for the sins that we've committed. You and I deserve a life that is far from God, not close to God. We none of us deserve to feel his presence. None of us deserve his love for us. He gives it unconditionally. And so he desires for us to understand his mercy. And not only does he give us mercy, but he gives us grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited, unearned favor from God. So we ask that his love, his mercy, and his grace would fill this place, that he would not give us what we do deserve, and that he gives us what we don't deserve, his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness. See, today that Jesus is calling all of us to himself, and if you feel like you're a sinner, you're in the right place. If you feel like, I shouldn't be here, you should be here. If you even said, if I even get close to that church, the whole thing's going to burst in flames or I will, you're in the right place. Amen? Amen. If you were afraid to step over that threshold, not knowing what was going to happen when you stepped on the other side, you made it and you're here because God has called you here to encounter his love. If you feel like you're so far from God, God can't reach you, you're in the right place because he will reach you today. He wants you to understand his love for you. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. So if you're here, sitting here today and you think you don't need a savior because you're good, and you, I'm a good person, I do good things, I don't need a savior, that's a dangerous place to be in, friend. Because the Bible is very clear, no one is good. No one is good. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a great chasm between us and God, and it's called sin. And all of us fall short of this glory. But Jesus came and he died and he laid out his life to bridge the gap between us and God. 
to reconcile us. And even if you're sitting here today and you're hostile towards God, you're like, I don't need God. I don't love God. I'm just here because so-and-so invited me, but I'm, and really I'm here to eat some tri-tip later on. And I was told I got to make an appearance. But I'm not into this, and I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not here for this. Know that Jesus died for you as well, even if your heart is hard towards him because he's called you to be reconciled to him. This is what it says in, in Colossians 1. In fact, the entire chapter of Colossians chapter 1 is powerful, but I'm going to start in verse 21. It says, and you, and he's writing to believers now, but this goes to those who aren't yet. It says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, his death on the cross, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That word reconcile means to make friendly again, to settle a quarrel between you and God. Notice Paul is writing here to followers of Jesus that this, world, this word means, uh, when he says it, you've been reconciled, it's in the past tense. It's been done now. You are now reconciled. You don't have to live a life trying to reconcile yourself to God. If you surrendered to Jesus, you are now reconciled to God. You are now in right relationship with God again. You now have the ability to know God, to hear his voice, to draw close to him, to look like him, to live like him, to be like Jesus because he's reconciled. See, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and our acceptance of his free gift, we've been made right with God. And notice, who does the action in that passage? He has now reconciled you. It was Jesus' action that reconciled us. It wasn't our action. It wasn't our ability to get God's attention so that he would love us. He reconciled us because we cannot reconcile ourselves. We can only respond to the reconciliation he has offered us in his life, death, and resurrection, and then we have a choice to follow him. Now, are there requirements once you decide to follow Jesus? Yeah, of course, because you actually have to follow him. And like I said earlier, Jesus is not going to lead you into places of darkness and brokenness and pain and sin. So if we say we follow Jesus and yet we're still doing all of this junk over here, what does that mean? We're not following, right? If we follow Jesus, we are walking in truth. We're walking in righteousness. We're walking in holiness. Not that we've earned it. He's given it to us. See, Jesus says, I give you my holiness. I give you my righteousness. I, robe, I clothe you in righteousness. He removes our filthy rags of sin that we try to cover ourselves with. He removes those things and he clothes us in his righteousness and then says, follow me as I show you how to live your life. So there's going to be requirements of following Jesus, but the first initial invite is saying, just as you are, come follow me. I'll do the work in you as you follow me, but you have to respond to my invitation. It's Jesus' behavior, his action, not ours, that made us approved by God. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not a story about how, how good we are at following Jesus. It's about how good Jesus is at reconciling us to himself. That's the gospel. Our God is so good at drawing people to himself. 
Our God is so wonderful and so amazing at, the, at his ability to draw dead hearts and bring them to life again, to call us out of darkness into his light. He's so good at showing us that sin will kill us, but that he has life more abundant for us. That's the gospel, that he came and died, paid the price for you and I. See, he, he starts it and he finishes it. He's the author and the finisher. He is the perfecter of our faith. We belong to him. So as the worship team comes and we draw our time to a close this morning, if today, if you aren't living a life that follows Jesus, I pray that you hear his voice today telling you, follow me. Jesus is inviting you to follow him today. It's simple. Just respond to his invitation to follow him. That's your first step. If you have a question of what, what am I supposed to do? How, do my, how am I supposed to become a Christian? I, I feel something in me, but what am I supposed to do? You just respond to his invitation. That's your first step. You don't have to have it all figured out right now. You don't have to be living perfectly right now. More than likely, there are still things that, you have, that you're hung up on. But Jesus, even in this moment, is calling you to follow him. And as you follow him, you'll allow him to deal with your mess. You just need to respond to his invitation and learn what it means to follow. Amen? With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, as we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, I want to extend his invitation. Just as he walked up to Matthew in his tax booth and said, follow me, Jesus is here this morning. And he's calling to you. And he sees you and he says, follow me. Follow me. And if you're ready to respond to Jesus this morning, to follow him, I just want you to raise your hand wherever you're at so that I could pray with you. So if that's you this morning, feel God touching your heart. Maybe you're sitting there and saying, I don't know. I don't know if this is God or not. If your heart beat, is racing a little bit. That's God touching you. Saying, come to me. Say yes to me. God's touching your heart right now. I just want you to lift your hand so I can see it, so I can pray with you. Say, Jesus, have your way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We surrender to you today. Surrender to you today, Jesus. Yes, God. We thank you, Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I need a Savior. I have a sickness. It's called sin. And I cannot heal myself. I need you, Jesus, to heal me and to set me free. So I confess that you are God. I confess 
that you are my Savior. And I give my life to you. And today, even though I might not understand it, I will seek to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Come on, would you celebrate? Now, for followers of Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want to remind you that your value and your worth is not found in your ability to be a good Christian. It's found in what Jesus did for you on the cross. You have to live your life from the point of the cross, and you never leave from that place. Remembering what Jesus did for you, that he bought you your freedom, your salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we have been saved by grace through faith. It is not from anything that we have done. It is a gift from God, not by our works that anyone should boast about our own goodness. So today, if you're struggling, you're feeling defeated, frustrated, I would encourage you to return to the foot of the cross and remember what Jesus did for you. Remember what he paid for your freedom and for mine. Even for you today, Jesus reminds you to follow him. Keep following his leading. Keep following. See, some of us have made commitments to follow Jesus and then life happens. We have work struggles and relationship struggles and we've got bills that are piling up. Or we have relationship issues and friends and all of these things begin to pile up on us to the extent that we forget to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls us back today. He says, follow me again. Follow me. You got distracted. You turned your head to the left, to the right, began to look at your circumstances and the issues in front of you. And you forgot that I'm leading you to a good place. Jesus' promise for us today is that he would never leave us or forsake us. And if we follow him, he will lead us to still waters and green pastures because he loves us. So I want to remind some of you today, as followers of Jesus, don't give up hope that you have in Christ. He walks with you. He walks beside you. He has set you free. Walk in the freedom that he paid for. Recognize his voice. Today, some of us, he's calling back to the word and pick it up again. I have something to say to you. Pick it up again. I have life for you. Pick it up again. There's freedom today. Know my voice. Hear me when I'm speaking. Draw close to him. Some of you, he's calling to deeper places of prayer because he wants to remind you again of who you are and what you're called to do. Some of us, he's reminding to make sure that we don't forsake the gathering of our brothers and sisters. He's reminding us that there is life in community and transformation in community. And he's drawing us to himself. 
my call for you as a follower of Jesus to stay committed to following him. Don't let him out of your sight. Would you stand to your feet this morning? this is your first time here, maybe the first time in a long time, we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. We're a church that believes in the the supernatural. It breaks out when we are agreeing together. And so if you're here this morning and you would like prayer for anything, anything that I spoke of today or anything that's going on in your life or in your body, if you're needing a healing touch, we believe that God still heals. He restores our bodies. If he can raise from the dead, any illness in your body is nothing to him. He can heal it in a moment, and we believe it. So we want to invite you. We're going to invite our prayer team to come, and we're going to have our worship team close out our time as we sing about the worth and value of God. But as we do, we invite you just to step out where you're from. Maybe it might be uh, different from what you're used to, but here, we do it all the time. So no one's going to think you're crazy for stepping out of your seat. In fact... I would encourage all of you to run up here. I feel the Spirit of God wanting to show you His love and His mercy today. So as we worship, I encourage you to come out of your seats and come for prayer. If not, just worship Jesus right where you're at and believe the Holy Spirit's going to minister to you. Let's, Let's do that now. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central